We'll hear argument now, number 99-1178, Solid Waste Agency of North, Northern Cook County versus the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Mr. Bishop. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, by 1972, the terms navigable waters and waters of the United States had a settled meaning. After a century during which Congress's and this Court's conception of what those terms meant had expanded significantly, from an initial strict view that the navigable waters were those navigable in fact, to a recognition that they included in addition waters navigable with improvements and tributaries of those waters. To this court's statement in uh, the Union Electric case in 1965, that the only things excluded were intrastate non-navigable waters that did not flow into the navigable waters. By 1972, when the Act was passed, uh, the broadest conception of the navigable waters of the United States uh, included all waters that form part of a single aquatic system with navigable waters in the traditional sense that flow into and so can affect the quality of those waters. Mr. Bishop, the government says that the uh, w while you may be correct about the uh, the perception of what the navigable waters of the United States consist of, that there was no practice of referring to that conception as waters of the United States. Do you have instances? We do, Your Honor. In statutory text or in our opinions where that precise phrase that's used in the definition here, waters of the United States, is used? Well, the, the traditional phrase uh, that appears over and over again in the, the statutes and in the Court's opinions is navigable waters of the United States. But uh, there, are, there are instances where those are broken up, and in effect, the terms are used interchangeably. In Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act of 1899, for example, uh, the statute begins by uh, talking about protecting the navigable capacity of the waters of the United States. It immediately switches to talk about preventing uh, obstructions to the navigable waters. Uh, in a much more recent statute, um, 1990, the uh, Aquatic um, Nuisance Prevention Act, which I did not cite in my brief, but which I've alerted the Solicitor General to, it's at 16 U.S.C. section 4702. That is a statute in which the jurisdictional term is waters of the United States. Uh, what's the definition in the statute? Navigable waters. Uh, the phrases have been used interchangeably in statutes and in this Court's opinions, and in our reply brief in a footnote towards the end, we've cited a number of opinions. Have we ever used the term waters of the states, or did this Congress has ever used the term waters of the states? It, it, would, it would seem there might be a dichotomy there. I'm not sure that necessarily follows. Yes, I think in that same footnote, uh, we cite a number of cases where the, the waters of the United States is used in contradistinction to the waters of the states. One of the problems with the government's interpretation is that there is no longer any such thing as the waters of the states. I could understand what I, I don't think I could understand a position that says waters of the United States means the navigable waters. But that's not your position. You're saying it includes anything that flows into navigable waters. I could understand a position that says Waters of the United States means whatever Congress can legislate on under the Commerce Clause. But that's not your position. That's their position. What I don't understand is a position which I take it is yours, which says that all non-navigable waters which flow into a navigable water is within the statute. And that apparently, according to the Amici brief, is about 80 percent of every backyard pond. But those which flow into waters under the ground rather than over the ground, which I guess are excluded on your theory, just because they go under the ground. That isn't the small ones. That includes Crater Lake, the Great Salt Lake, uh, huge bodies of water. It isn't the big ones. It's some small ones, some big ones, 80 percent, the only difference being that they happen to flow into the stream that's navigable under the ground rather than over the ground. So what conceivably could Congress have had in mind on your interpretation? 
just one correction. We're not taking a position on groundwaters. The uh, circuits are in conflict on uh, Well, maybe you're even saying that some of the ones that go under the ground are within the statute, but others aren't. Some courts have held that uh, groundwaters that are connected to, that is, flow into the navigable waters of the United States, serve as a source, are, uh, are no, covered. I Oh, into the Fox River. Isn't that right? No, there is no, there is no evidence of that at no. all. The, um, no, but my question, you see, is I can understand their interpretation. I can understand a narrow interpretation. But I don't understand what any human being would want to accomplish by writing your interpretation that would, in fact, exclude somewhere between 5 and 20 percent of the bodies of water in people's backyards. But I think that what Congress had in mind in, in borrowing the common law and prior statutory meanings of these terms uh, was that uh, it did want to protect water, but it was also very cognizant of states' uh, rights and retained rights under the Tenth Amendment to, uh, to regulate uh, and, and wanted to maintain limits on the scope of the jurisdiction. Mr. Bishop, is your position on this issue influenced in any respect by our decision in Riverside versus Bayview Homes? Well, clearly I have to accommodate uh, that, that position, and that uh, is one that uh, Congress addressed specifically, as the Court noted in Riverside Bayview. Uh, it pointed out that the adjacent wetland abutted and uh, drained into the navigable waters. I think that what Congress had in mind when you read the legislative history uh, in the context of the statutory language and the history of these terms is not, as the government says, the, uh, commerce, uh, the, the, the effects commerce jurisdiction, but the channels jurisdiction. It was interested in expanding federal jurisdiction over the water as a protective matter as far as it thought it could. Mr. Bishop, uh, if that's so, then how do you explain Section 404G of the statute? which allows the state government to submit to the EPA uh, a description of a program um, involving discharging, um, discharging into waters uh, that are other than navigable or adjacent to navigable waters. Why would Congress give the governors permission to do that if those waters are excluded? Uh, it's clear that what that refers to are tributaries. The only thing excluded from the state program are traditional navigable waters, narrowly defined as waters navigable in fact, navigable with improvement, and wetlands adjacent thereto. That leaves a vast array of navigable waters of the United States, as set forth in prior statutes in this Court's understanding of those terms, which are tributaries, primary, secondary, tertiary tributaries. As Justice Breyer pointed out, what is uh, excluded, we believe, are the small proportion of, uh, of waters that are totally uh, isolated, uh, that do not flow into our tributaries. 404G would not cover such It waters. does not cover isolated waters. It clearly does allow states to regulate tributaries. That is traditional navigable waters of the United States under, for example, the Rivers and Harbors Act or the 1948 uh, version of the clean water. Well, and presumably states can regulate, under your theory, these isolated waters that don't flow into navigable waters. It's uh, within the state's jurisdiction. So. Uh, that's right, Justice McConnell. And um, the, the state of Alabama, in its amicus brief, set out a long appendix with, with uh, state statutes. It, it's clear that uh, virtually all states, if not all states, regulate isolated waters and protect them. Here, uh, the state of Illinois... Uh, and Cook County carefully uh, investigated our project over many public hearings uh, over many months and concluded that the project uh, would not impact the waters involved here in any what way. What about that the state lakes about. or ponds intrastate that don't flow into navigable waters but which can support rowboats or small sailboats or something like that? Uh, this court's definition in Appalachian Electric uh, of a navigable water included one that could be used by small non-commercial vessels on the theory that that indicated the potential of the water body to be used uh, for commerce. And we are not objecting here to the, uh, uh, to the cause claim of jurisdiction over waters that are navigable, in fact, even by small vessels. We are objecting solely 
to uh, the taking of jurisdiction over isolated water bodies that do not support, support commerce or boating and that do not flow into and therefore affect the quality of navigable waters over which the Corps has always had jurisdiction. I don't quite understand your position as to why, if it's a small lake entirely within the boundaries of a state, that you don't object to federal jurisdiction there. Well, I mean, uh, even if it's navigable, well, that's not interstate commerce, it's local commerce. Right, but, uh, it, the, but uh, we're not object. I mean, that is not our case, Justice Stevens, and so I can't claim to have, you know, I don't want to state a definitive position on, on this, but it, it, uh, it's not unreasonable, uh, in our view, for the core to have uh, regarded small lakes that support intrastate commerce as part of the uh, flow of commerce around the nation. That is in the legislative well, history. Would this case be different if the United States could prove that people use rowboats to go fishing in the, in the pond that we're talking about here? It's several acres in size, I think, isn't it? These ponds are tiny and very shallow. There's how, how nothing in the record. The it's private land. They have never well, been how used. How big is the pond we're talking about? Well, there, there are a number of ponds. When I was out three the weeks ago, there was no water on the land. When the how big is the biggest one? Uh, I think on the record they say several acres. Several acres. So you could roll back and forth across that and <laughs> two feet deep, I thought. No, I they're very they're very shallow. In addition, to if if you could, would you, would that make a difference to you? If it was well, if say it was ten feet deep instead of two feet deep, I, and people regularly went out in in the rowboats on it. The, the position that the court has taken, which we do not object to. I'm asking your because, position. Uh, yes, uh, the uh, anything that supports our position essentially is anything that supports. Uh, could support commerce, and that well, would include I'm asking the interstate you specifically, if, if it can support people going out in a rowboat and rowing back and forth across the well, lake, would that be sufficient in your view? I find that implausible, but that is what this court said well, in I know, but I'd like to get an answer to my question, if you could, please. What is your view on that hypothetical? Yes, I think that intra intrastate waters, if they are navigable, that is, if a boat can go on them and move, uh, so this a, would be a different case if the government could prove that rowboats could go back and forth across the water. Or if they could prove that, uh, yes, that's right. Well, I don't see why you keep referring to, you know, supporting interstate commerce. I thought the, the, the whole core of your case is that when you refer to navigable waters, you're not talking about interstate commerce, that there's one basis of jurisdiction, which is the Commerce Clause, and there's another basis of jurisdiction, which is navigable waters. And if you... If you interpret navigable waters to mean waters that are navigable, whether they're navigable interstate or not, it would necessarily include lakes big enough to, to float a rowboat. Well, that's, that's right, Justice Scalia, but... The, well, why do you keep referring to interstate Well, there is, there, if, because I believe there is a connection that's between... That's part of the, of, the, of the navigable waters clause. No, I believe that when Congress uh, talks about navigable waters, particularly in the expanded sense that grew up over the hundred years uh, after the Daniel Ball, that it had in mind the channels... Uh, power, and that that's how it reaches uh, tributaries and things that affect uh, the navigable uh, the navigable waters. Because clearly, these many of the waters that are covered uh, under the tributaries language of the statutes are not navigable, in fact, and could not support even a small rowboat. Well, but they affect navigable waters. They do affect so navigable. Congress's uh, Congress's authority over the navigable waters presumably gives Congress the authority to protect navigable waters from pollution, for example. Absolutely right. So, so what is the Congress the source of Congress authority over navigable waters? Isn't it the Commerce Clause? Uh, yes, I believe it's the channels channels power under the Commerce Clause. But it is not what the government has taken here, which is the effects commerce. Uh, Congress, by 1972, knew very well how to invoke the effects commerce power. It did so, for example, in 844I of the Criminal Code, which this court considered in Lopez, uh, where, it, where it specifically invoked that power. It did not do so in the Clean Water Act. It uh, used these traditional terms, navigable waters of the United States. And under any plausible uh, understanding of those terms, uh, historical or just common sense, and certainly reading the legislative history, uh, there is absolutely no indication that Congress meant to reach isolated ponds that can have no effect on the quality of navigable waters. Mr. Bishop, I, I don't mean to belabor this, but I'm looking at the text of 404G, and it seems that the, this provision addresses permits on the application of govern the governor of any state to things that are not navigable waters, not tributaries, not adjacent wetlands. 
they seem, this section seems to fit the category that you say is outside the statute. No, Justice. Perhaps you can look at the text of 404G and show me where I'm wrong. No, uh, you're right, but the the statute does not define the limits of what is being uh, allotted to the states. Uh, The the, the Congress is only allotting to the states that which is left over from the 404 permit program once traditional navigable waters have been taken out. It is our position that there is nothing else in the statute that gives the federal government power over isolated waters with no impact on the navigable waters of the United States. And therefore, the only thing that 404 G1 reaches are the tributaries which are part of the navigable waters, but which are not part of the traditional core meaning of uh, navigable waters in the Daniel Ball Appalachian Electric sense. That's... uh, it seems like, a, I mean, the statute does not say isolated waters. There is nothing in there that even hints that isolated waters are part of what is left over. Uh, there are Adjacent wetlands are not left over because that's specifically mentioned. Wetlands adjacent to uh, waters that are navigable in fact or navigable with improvements, not waters that are uh, wetlands that are adjacent to tributaries, which are left to the states. That leaves a, an enormous uh, amount of uh, regulatory power to the states over tributaries and their adjacent wetlands, but nothing in there suggests in the least that isolated waters are included in that uh, that, that uh, package, and, and isolated waters are traditionally regulated by the states anyway. Um, the, uh, there are principles of statutory interpretation here that even if there were any ambiguity in the statutory language, which we don't believe that there is, uh, there are principles of statutory interpretation that require, we believe, our reading as opposed to the government's. Uh, the first of those is the uh, de Bartolo principle that uh, a uh, statute, or in this case a regulation, uh, the Bird Rule should not be read so as to create constitutional problems. Uh, whatever one's conclusion about the constitutionality of the Bird Rule, uh, it's it seems to me on question that it does raise serious questions. Well, are you asking us, uh, Council, to just focus on the bird habitat um, final rule or uh, to focus on the regulation uh, in 33 Code of Federal Regulations, Section uh, 328.3, defining waters of the United States. I believe that that regulation, Justice O'Connor, does not satisfy our view of the statutory language and therefore uh, should be set aside. Now, in this case... The one, The one defining waters right, of the United States. Right, the one defining States. waters of the United States. You want us to focus on that, and in your view, it uh, is too broad and covers things the statute didn't authorize? Uh, that is true. It does not... The it, isolated intrastate pond? What it does is to extend the uh, government's jurisdiction to the limits of the effects commerce power. We don't believe that that's what the Clean Water Act says. Now, having said that, I I would like to add, however, that the only... So the bird habitat regulation doesn't have anything to do with it, or it does? The government has... The the sole basis on which the government has claimed jurisdiction in this case during the past, since 1987, when all this started, is the bird rule. They have never mentioned another rule. Uh, the, um, uh, in their brief, I, however... I didn't quite understand. The sole basis is, is what, Mr. Bishop? The sole basis is the migratory bird rule. Okay. Uh, that is uh, what they stated when they took jurisdiction in the first place. It is the only basis of jurisdiction that is stated in the, uh, in the 404 permit denials. Having said that, uh, we obviously don't want to go back... Uh, down and find ourselves caught on some other provision of the Other Waters Regulation. And it seems to us that the Other Waters Regulation is wholly inconsistent insofar as it reaches any water, any isolated water, that has any conceivable effect on interstate commerce. That is incompatible with the plain language of the statute uh, and the the legislative history. Uh, And so although the, the, uh, the Migratory Bird Rule is the only basis on which jurisdiction has been asserted. In their briefs to this court, the government does uh, retreat from that and uh, rely on the fill activity uh, itself, which I think is an attempt to rely on the 
on the other waters regulation. So we would like the court to address uh, that to save another $30 million in public money, which is what we've spent dealing with the core for the last uh, 13 years. Um, I was, uh, I was, I was uh, talking about the uh, principles of statutory interpretation that we think support our interpretation. One is the de Bartolo principle, uh, but a second one, and one that Congress had very much in mind, is Section 101B of the statute uh, makes clear, is uh, that it was concerned not to trample uh, state powers over uh, land use and over the environment. And uh, there's no doubt that that trampling uh, occurred here. Uh, the Corps put together a 47,000-page uh, record over the course of uh, seven years of, um, of permitting, and in doing so overrode uh, the considered determinations of the state of Illinois and Cook County. Uh, when it does a 404 determination, once it has taken jurisdiction, it doesn't just keep its eyes on the isolated waters. It roams far and wide using a public interest standard. Uh, the elements of that public interest standard include, for example, whether the project meets the needs and welfare, the general needs and welfare of the people. Uh, it uh, includes review of economics, aesthetics, uh, and array of other things. It is general land use uh, regulation at that point. Uh, and we believe that that is both inconsistent to stretch the jurisdiction, as the Corps has through its rules, to stretch the jurisdiction to impinge on state regulation in the face of a clear statement uh, in the uh, preamble of the statute that Congress intended and had a policy uh, to preserve the primary jurisdiction of state and local government over these matters. Uh, and that um, uh, it is inconsistent with the clear statement principle uh, that this court has applied, which requires that if Congress is going to impinge on uh, the reserved rights of the, the states, that it should say so clearly Far from saying so clearly in this case, it said that it wished to preserve uh, to the extent possible the, uh, the, rights of the, um, uh, the rights of the states. And where are the words that say that? Uh, 101B, Your Honor, Section 101B, 1251B, uh, which is probably quoted on the first page of our blue brief. Yes, Your Honor. It is the policy of Congress to recognize, preserve, and protect the primary responsibilities of, and rights of states to prevent, reduce, and eliminate pollution and to plan the development and use of land and water resources. Could, could Congress uh, uh, regulate these ponds to prevent them from serving as nesting places, say, for mosquitoes that carry West Nile disease from state to state? Uh, I, d I don't believe that the federal government re may regulate these ponds under the interstate, under the So, uh, so in fact, if they discover that mosquitoes are flying all over the place, infect birds, and people are dying in different states. No, I think that would because be Because of a pond that is not appropriately sprayed. No, the government. Lacks the power, in your view, to tell the states or to tell individuals to spray their ponds, or not to use certain pesticides that are killing people in other states. Do I, they have that power? Not under the Commerce Clause, but it clearly can. The treaty power, you, you have to understand that birds are regulated No, I'm talking in my hypothetical. There's no treaty, as I know, on West Nile disease mosquitoes. Well, West Nile disease is, is spread by birds and, under the, and kills well, birds, and under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, Congress can clearly well, no, protect birds by, uh, by... No, what I'm trying to ask with my question, if you can... Just is, is I suppose that it's discovered that birds are causing diseases, or suppose that pesticides are dangerous to people. Can Congress tell you that you cannot use a certain pesticide in your backyard pond or your backyard tree because the effect of that is to spread disease from state to state? Do they have that power? Uh, Congress can certainly regulate anything that is commercial, including well, the so production of pesticides. If the pesticides are shipped in interstate commerce, right. they could regulate it on that basis. Exactly, Mr. Chief Justice. The problem here is that these birds infect only people in Indiana and not people in Illinois, so that Illinois doesn't care about it? Um, I mean, is, 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 this, is this a real problem? If, if, if it's a national problem, are these mosquitoes just going to bite Indianans and not people from Illinois, so that Illinois would, would have as much of an interest in, in preventing that as, as the federal government? Yes, I mean, I mean all... You would think they would have more of an interest. Uh, yes, Justice Scalia. The, the, there is no... My question is whether or not 
Congress has the power to regulate local products in local ponds or on local trees that would spread diseases from one state to another. And if, they can, if, if you can find a, uh, a commerce connection, for example, because the product I've is... I've said what the hypothetical is. If there is no commerce connection, the answer is no. And, it, the, and the framers of the Constitution did not intend that the federal government has, have power over every problem just because it was national in scope. It intended well, that the states have reserved powers to deal with, uh, uh, with problems as well. And Why isn't there going to be a commerce connection? I mean, apart from the Chief Justice's suggestion, it seems to me that the hypothetical that Justice Breyer throws out uh, is, is, a, is a pretty good predicate uh, to, to uh, substantial effects on commerce. Well, but I don't think that substantial effects on an end user, like, I mean, here the claim is that the birds, because they fly interstate and at some point may get shot by or look, watched by people who are crossing state lines and spending money, that is a sufficient interstate commerce connection. If that is a connection, if that sort of connection that was is not, sufficient... I don't think that was the hypothetical. That doesn't seem very different to me. That, well, that was the hypothetical. That doesn't seem very different to me from the hypothetical, that uh, some mere end user commerce connection is not enough. If you get there then there are no uh, reserve powers left to the state. So everything is within the enumerated powers. If I could, I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time. Very well, Mr. Bishop. Uh, Mr. Wallace, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The Clean Water Act uh, states its goals as to restore and maintain the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of the nation's waters and to attain water quality which provides for the protection and propagation of fish, shellfish, and wildlife. The operative provisions at issue here uh, uh, prohibit discharges of pollutants into certain waters. We'll get to what those are in just a moment. Without a permit, those provisions thus regulate human conduct, usually commercial in nature, and, and certainly commercial in this instance, uh, in order to avert harm to natural resources, wildlife, or the environment. And in common with similar anti-pollution provisions in other federal environmental statutes, these prohibitions on conduct do not purport to assert any special federal domain over the place where the conduct occurs. Uh, there are I, I don't understand exactly what that means. Well, for example, in in the act commonly known as RICRA, another environmental statute, uh, the, the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, a permit situation, uh, a permit system is set up for the treatment or storage or disposal of hazardous waste, which occurs in privately owned land ordinarily. Uh, without any reference to waters whatsoever. The Endangered Species Act prohibits harm to the protected species, whether you, that harm occurs that on land of, or water. You're, you're, are you saying there are a lot of laws like this one? Well, I am saying there are many uh, prohibitions on conduct that pollutes or endangers uh, the natural resources of this country or the wildlife of this country that are enacted under the commerce power and that, that uh, are not commonly thought of or thought of in the law as asserting a special federal domain over the place where the conduct occurs. It's true, but... But unlike those other statutes, this one is limited to the navigable waters of the United As defined States. in the statute. That's, As defined that's, in the statute. That's and, exactly and, what I'm going to turn to now, but I have to speak first, uh, as I tried to do, to the argument that there would be a constitutional problem if uh, uh, the conduct prohibited occurred in one place rather than another. Uh, the conduct the assertion, the assertion was pollutants. that if there was no commerce clause connection, it would be unconstitutional, and that's what the discussion was about with well, was wait, wait, a sufficient I, I, commerce clause connection. I, I, yes. Mr. Wallace, when, when a justice is asking you a question, I suggest you remain quiet until he finishes, if that isn't too much trouble. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, um, 
uh, I'm just you know, trying to help with the with uh, the inquiry. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. In, in any event, uh, um, let's turn now to the question of what the, what waters the statute addresses. The first thing to be said about this question before turning to the statute is that this court has already spoken to this issue, not in detail, but quite clearly uh, uh, in an opinion in which it was an important part of the court's reasoning, and I'm speaking of a carefully crafted opinion of the court in International Paper Company against Ouellette. Um, which dealt with a very difficult issue. This is in 479 U.S., which dealt with a very difficult issue of implied preemption under the Act in light of the meaning of two savings clauses. And an important part of the reasoning of the Court in concluding the scope of preemption of state-based causes or action, it happened to be a, a a challenge to a discharge that caused harm in an adjoining state. But an important part of the court's reasoning was consideration of the comprehensive scope of the Clean Water Act. And the court stated at page uh, 486 of 479 U.S. in describing the case first, that the Act applies to virtually all surface water in the country, and it had a footnote at that point uh, citing uh, its uh, decision from the previous term in Riverside Bayview Homes, which had described uh, the uh, uh, Corps' regulations that extended to isolated waters, so-called, uh, and uh, then in the uh, legal discussion in its opinion, several pages later, at 479 U.S., page 493, um, the court reasoned, as we noted in Milwaukee 2, Congress intended the 1972 Act amendments to establish, quote, an all-encompassing program of water pollution regulation, unquote. The Act applies to all point sources and virtually all bodies of water, and it sets forth the procedures for obtaining a permit in great detail. And Mr. Wallace, if you would turn to the language in Riverside Bayviews that you cited in passing, that does say that the word navigable in this statute has a, quote, limited office, as I understand what you're telling us now, which you put forward in your brief, it has no office at all. That the statute would mean what you say it means if the term navigable were not in there, so that you give no effect whatever to that term. Am I correct in so understanding? Well, the term is defined in the statute, so it has effect as a, as a reference to the definition, but it's a term of art in the statute, and it's defined as what, water. What, what does it have to do? In other words, would the statute do anything more or less, in your view, if the word navigable were not there and they were just the words waters of the United States? In other words, does navigable have any function whatever, not has it been defined away? I believe the answer is that the use of the word navigable in the statute uh, as a reference to the definition of what navigable means for purposes of the statute does not have any independent significance. May I suggest why it could have some independent significance? Now, Congress has many authorities under the Commerce Clause. It seems to me clear that this statute was appealing to one aspect of Congress's Commerce Clause powers that aspect which has to do with the control of navigable waters. And to, to leap from that and simply ignore the navigable waters appeal and just say all Congress is doing is, is exerting its broad commerce power in all its aspects, sim it just seems to me to ignore a very precise appeal to one aspect of the Commerce Clause power. 
The, the word navigable appears in the statute in that spot, but not elsewhere. The statute does not deal with navigability problems. The statute deals with a water pollution crisis that was affecting the I understand, but, but uh, Congress was limiting its, its control over that problem to navigable waters. And, and, and even the definition, which means waters of the United States, that can be explained without without uh, making the word navigable totally useless in the statute by simply saying that was meant to make it clear that when Congress said navigable waters, it meant the broad definition of navigability which had been, uh, which had been apparent in our cases, so that it includes wetlands adjacent to navigable waters and includes even tributaries that go into navigable waters. But, but it seems to me... To, to blink reality to say that Congress was relying upon a, a general Commerce Clause power, which is what the government's position is. Well, this is the, the main uh, uh, law uh, governing conduct that pollutes surface waters in this country, uh, uh, and, and uh, it's, it's comparable to the Safe Drinking Water Act, which protects aquifers and, and uh, underground waters uh, more directly. Uh, but uh, to answer your question more directly, uh, as we explained in uh, discussing the 72 Act and then the 1977 amendments, um, the Act started off and was called the Federal Water Pollution Control Amendments of 1972, and it used the definition of navigable waters, which was left over from prior legislation, including the Rivers and Harbors Act. But in the course of the development of the 72 Act, uh, uh, dissatisfaction was expressed with um, uh, the idea that the Act would apply too narrowly, and the definition of navigable waters was changed from navigable waters of the United States to just the words waters of the United States. And the committee report reporting it out at that time said it was meant to exert the full constitutional authority uh, uh, of, of the Congress under the Commerce power. Uh, and, and, uh, what it didn't say, Mr. Wallace, is, is what, for example, 16 U.S.C. Section 817 says, a different, a different statute. That imposes requirements on water projects on, quote, navigable, navigable waters of the United States and other waters, quote, over which Congress has jurisdiction under its authority to regulate commerce. Now, you're essentially saying that that's what this statute says. But if it says it, it says it in such a roundabout way. I mean, th this is a very easy way to say it. Well, it, it water it, projects on navigable waters of the United States and other waters over which Congress has jurisdiction under its authority to regulate Congress. It, it, it can it, be said quite plainly. And, and we Congress could have spoken with, with greater clarity than it did. Well, isn't that is, a serious problem then under, under any clear statement analysis? Because, I, I, I mean, I understand, I think I understand your argument, and I, I can see that it is possible to construe the language as broadly as you do. But when, when literally any farm pond in the United States is going to be subject to core jurisdiction on your analysis, and Congress has not spoken any more clearly than it has here, isn't that a reason for construing the statute more narrowly rather than as broadly as, as you argue? It, 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 it arguably is a reason, although the, the court in Riverside Good Bayview, the, the court in Riverside Bayview uh, uh, said that deference to the court's interpretation was appropriate because Congress had not directly spoken to the issue. But we, we do here seem to have, and maybe we did there for that matter, but we seem at least to have a conflict in principle because we have the deference principle. And then we, we have some clear statement notion when the results get to the sort of to the bizarre point. So which, which principle do we choose? Well, uh, uh, I, 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 I have to uh, take issue with whether the result here gets to a bizarre point that implicates a clear statement rule. But uh, I, I, I do think that 
We're talking about precisely the issue on which Congress focused in the 1977 amendments to the Act. Well, Mr. Wallace, it's at least unclear enough that the Corps of Engineers didn't come to this interpretation until quite late on. They didn't interpret it this way originally themselves, did they? They did not originally. That's how at least unclear it is. Not to say clear in the other direction. They did not interpret it this way originally, but were reprimanded by several court decisions for misinterpreting the Act. EPA, which has the primary authority to interpret the Act, did interpret it this way originally. And uh, the Corps came around after uh, conducting another rulemaking proceeding, uh, as it was ordered to do by a court that had said its view of its authority was too narrow to accomplish the purposes of the Act that Congress had in mind. And uh, um, uh, the two agencies reached the same conclusion uh, by the time uh, uh, Congress was considering the 1977 amendments, which focused very specifically on the question of whether uh, the jurisdiction over so-called isolated waters had gone too far. The House of Representatives... And Mr. Wallace, had the EPA taken this position before 1977? Uh, yes. So that, that position was in, in a regulation at the time Congress acted in 1977? That is correct. And it was also in the interim rule that the Corps had come to. And indeed, the Corps adopted its final rule during the course of consideration after the House had passed its bill, but before the Senate had voted. Mr. Wallace, this comes to us as a sort of as-applied challenge, I guess, and in the context of uh, provisions imposing criminal penalties. Does that influence our interpretation at all? Is there any rule of lenity concerns or anything of the sort because we are dealing with statutes imposing criminal penalty? Well, that was an issue that the court addressed in its opinion in Babbitt against Sweet Home in footnote 18 of that opinion, where uh, in a civil proceeding a similar concern was raised. And I think the answer given in that footnote that in a, a civil context of litigation where uh, uh, the uh, uh, agency interpretation has been made clear that uh, there is no occasion to, to invoke the rule of lenity. So the statute can mean one thing if it's prosecuted criminally and something different if it's prosecuted civilly? We That's don't, extraordinary. We don't take that position. But, but that's there, what there, the footnote you appeal to would seem to suggest. It's a footnote by this court. Well, uh, 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 even uh, so. Uh, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, but we do have mens rea questions that we in the courts have been uh, uh, struggling with. Uh, when the point of the footnote, as I remember it, was if the matter is cleared up in the civil proceedings, then the rule of lenity doesn't apply subsequently because there's no longer the ambiguity that gives rise to the rule of lenity problem. Very well restated. Uh, which raises the different problem that what the statute means depends upon whether the first case prosecuted is a criminal or a civil case. Is that is that the government's well, position? Well, we're very cautious about not bringing what we think would be an unfair criminal prosecution. We're mostly uh, we mostly try to confine those initiatives to scoff law situations where we think uh, we could uh, prevail and where. Uh, that uh, kind of sanction is appropriate. But to get back to the 1977 controversy, the House did pass a bill, and a similar bill was sponsored by Senator Benson in the Senate. But both bills made clear that they were not repudiating uh, um, the broader scope of authority for EPA in regulating toxic discharges into all waters of the United States as they had been interpreted in the regulations, but only addressed the Corps' permitting activities with respect to dredge and fill activities. The, the Congress indicated in detail that it was very familiar with the agency interpretations by both agencies. And even then, 
the Senate refused to pass the uh, House version or the Benson Amendment, and it decided instead to retain the existing scope of the geographic authority uh, stated in the uh, uh, regulations that had been adopted, but to counterbalance that with this new provision that Justice Ginsburg has been adverting to, 404G, which provided uh, uh, authority for the states to adopt their own programs over what were called in the Corps' new regulation, and the Senate report very specifically referred to this as Phase 2 and Phase 3 of the expansion of the Corps' permit program. And we, we have quoted the Senate report uh, uh, that uses precisely those terms uh, um, on page 25 of our brief. The, the committee amendment uh, does not redefine navigable waters. Instead, the committee amendment intends to assure continued protection of all the nation's waters, but allows states to assume the primary responsibility uh, uh, for protecting these, uh, the, the waters outside of the so-called phase one waters, which are the navigable waters and those adjacent and, and the wetlands adjacent thereto. Under the committee uh, amendment, the Corps will continue to administer the entire Section 404 program in all navigable waters until the approval of a state program for phase two and phase three waters. And the phase three waters, uh, uh, which the Corps was planning to get to in, in a, a couple of years' time, were the, are the waters at issue here. So the whole premise of the Senate bill, which is what the conference committee adopted, was that the extension of jurisdiction to these phase three waters would be retained, but the states would be given the option of administering the program. Two states have chosen to do that, New Jersey and uh, Michigan. And New Jersey is one of eight states that have filed a brief in our support in this case. Uh, um, uh, only one has filed a brief on the other side, I hasten to point out. And uh, the, the, um, the committee, the Senate also counterbalanced the retention of the broad jurisdiction by uh, providing for certain exemptions, including an exemption of certain agricultural activities because of precisely the concern uh, that Justice Souter suggested might raise a question of bizarre uh, authority. Uh, um, and uh, also of certain, that, certain that is cultural in the activities. That's in the statute, Mr. Wallace? That is in the statute. Uh, as it was, that was part of the 1977 amendments, oh. that certain you, exemptions could, were added. Could, could you give it, uh, uh, is, is it in your brief somewhere? Is yes, it? yes it is. Could you tell us where? It's section 1344F of Title 33. Thank you. Is how, how uh, I'm trying to get a, a, a quantitative idea uh, from one of the Amici briefs suggested. Your your view is that all the water that affects interstate commerce, maybe the word substantially affects or significantly affects, whatever the constitutional test. Think of that set of water. All the water that significantly affects interstate commerce is included. I take it that they agree that all the water that affects interstate commerce is included, provided it also is either navigable or, if not navigable, it flows into navigable water. And I thought they were talking about flows on the surface. And there was an amicus brief that says, well, there's only about 20 percent left over. Is that right? Now, I think maybe today, I'm not sure, I think maybe they said it also includes the water affecting interstate commerce that isn't navigable but flows underground, in which case I would think that takes care of everything else. But maybe there's a tiny little bit that actually doesn't flow underground, and I take it this particular place, the Army Corps of Engineers and the EPA think it does flow into the Fox River underground, and they think it doesn't flow into the Fox River underground. So I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. I, I'm trying to get a, an idea of what the 
uh, what we're talking about. Well, one of the uh, rules specified by the Corps, and it's elaboration of its regulations uh, as to what, what uh, um, waters can affect interstate commerce, are those that uh, uh, are used as habitat by uh, migratory birds protected under Bird Treaty Acts or that uh, migrate uh, between the states, which happened to be the basis on which jurisdiction was asserted here on the basis of a factual showing that was made to the Corps uh, by, an, by an Illinois state agency uh, uh, dealing with birds. Um, and uh, um, perhaps if we get away from this particular site for a moment, uh, um, much of the battle would be about uh, the so-called prairie potholes in the Dakotas and adjoining states where about 50 percent of uh, the uh, uh, waterfowl in this country breed. Uh, I, under petitioner's position, as I understand it, uh, um, the commerce power would enable Congress to protect uh, the uh, winter habitat of duck species and other waterfowl in the Chesapeake Bay area uh, with all of its tidal waters and navigable rivers, etc., uh, uh, but not to protect uh, the summer breeding habitat of these same waterfowl. I don't think that's his position. I think his position is not that the commerce power doesn't allow you to protect them. It's that the navigable waters aspect of the commerce power doesn't allow you to protect them. And if commerce, Congress wants to come back and exert its commerce power generally, it would be a different issue. Uh, that is a statutory argument, but he also is making the argument that that uh, interpretation is one that should be adopted because otherwise there would be a constitutional doubt about the authority of Congress to protect these, this bird habitat. And, of course, any scientist would look at this question and say, well, it's, it's futile, it's ineffectual to be able to protect the habitat that they use at one season, but not to be able to protect the habitat that they use in another season, the breeding season. Uh, well, just to be clear on one thing, it is the Corps' position, is it not, that the Phase three water, their power to regulate the Phase three water, applies whether or not the isolated ponds have an underground connection to navigable waters. That is correct. Yeah, is and and uh, um, the so-called prairie potholes are perhaps the prime example of that. The waters here, uh, um, that's a more difficult inquiry. Uh, certainly, uh, they serve as storage for what would otherwise be floodwaters during periods of uh, heavy rain uh, that would cause uh, 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 overflow that was part of what the Corps had to deal with in dealing with this application. Uh, um, Do the states uh, exercise any regulation over the prairie potholes? They, they do. This whole area is one of concurrent and overlapping authority uh, between uh, the states and the federal government, as the states that have filed amicus in our support have pointed out. Uh, um, Maybe the federal case, government though, was, was content to protect the navigable waters from pollution and, and to leave the problem of the pollution of waters that don't affect the navigable waters to the states. It's a perfectly rational uh, approach. Well, that, that is exactly contrary to what the Senate committee said in adopting the 1977 amendments. But the, I mean, this, this case, it seems to me, does point up the problem that um, uh, the petitioner's counsel raised, quoting from page one of the blue brief, that is the primary responsibility of the states um, to eliminate pollution and to plan development and use of land. And here you have a 47,000-page report. Did I hear that correctly? That the Corps of Engineers issued this? This was a very it, it seems to me that this illustrates that the way in which the Corps has promulgated its regulation uh, de departs from the design of the statute. 
Well, the Corps uh, grants all but uh, less than 1 percent of applications each year, and about 85 percent of the permits that it issues are uh, issued under general permit programs, which are streamlined and do not require uh, uh, individual inquiries into the categories that uh, they fall if certain conditions are met in the application. I don't Many see how that should affect our determination. Well, uh, um, what, what we had in this case was what turned out to be a very complex inquiry, although Petitioner characterizes it as trenching on local land use planning functions. But uh, their local land use boards seldom have to deal with a, a project of this magnitude and its uh, potential and long-range effects on the people who will be affected by it in their posterity, which is why the states uh, supporting us say that, that the special expertise of the Corps and uh, of the other uh, agencies, state and federal, that weighed in in this process, and of course responses were received from Petitioner and its supporters were so important because what was implicated here was not only dangers to migratory birds, but a question of a possible uh, contamination of an aquifer used by thousands of people for their drinking water. Has Illinois shown no interest at all in or concern about this particular site? There's Is this a, a situation where the state has just turned its back and said, we don't care? The state agencies participated in the core proceeding. It's true that they initially licensed a plan to which many mitigation measures were added by the state so that the plan would have been a much better one if the core had approved it than what uh, Petitioner started with. Thank you, Mr. Wallace. Uh, Mr. Bishop, you have four minutes remaining. Justice O'Connor, the state of Illinois uh, rejected our first permit application, made us reapply uh, we filed a 1,700-page application. There were an additional set of public hearings. Uh, they subjected the project to 51 conditions before they would let us uh, proceed. Uh, Cook County engaged in the largest, uh, longest permit proceeding it had ever engaged in over this project. Uh, let, me, let me say that, that the, uh, the, the act is not uh, open-ended. No, it's not that any connection will do. Uh, the core... Can, uh, uh, and one of the amicus briefs on the other side from the wetland scientists claims that isolated ponds are in fact somehow connected uh, on the surface or through groundwater to the navigable waters. But the fact is any change made in the landscape will uh, make some, uh, have some effect on the flow of water. I just switch the gutter on my garage so that it drains into, uh, onto an impermeable surface where the water evaporates rather than onto the garden where it goes down into our water table and ends up in Lake Michigan. Uh, the Corps cannot use this language, uh, which requires some physical connection to the navigable waters, uh, to extend its jurisdiction in the same way that it's now extending it uh, endlessly through the effects commerce strand of the commerce power. Uh, so, um, and as to groundwater, uh, I did not and certainly do not mean to uh, suggest that the Corps can regulate any water uh, that flows into groundwater. The law is clear in the Seventh Circuit that the Corps does not have jurisdiction over groundwater. Other uh, courts, the Fifth Circuit, for example, has held that if the groundwater recharges surface water, there's jurisdiction. That's simply an issue that is not in this case, uh, and I do not concede that uh, if there is any connection to the groundwater here, that uh, that, would be, that would be jurisdictional. And, and the record in this case, which is 47,000 pages long, contains no basis of jurisdiction, no source of authority at all, other than presence of migratory birds uh, on these waters. The parade of horribles that uh, Mr. Wallace has, has trotted out is, is, uh, should also not be believed. The Clean Water Act is not out there by itself protecting clean water uh, or birds. The Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which is authorized under the treaty power, uh, gives Congress the authority to protect birds and their habitat. Uh, the, um, the spending power has been used to great effect in the prairie potholes region, whereas this court considered in the South Dakota case uh, the federal government has either acquired outright or bought easements over more than a million acres, and this is 20 years ago, more than a million acres 
of, uh, of, the, of uh, prairie potholes. Uh, so uh, taking out this strand, the, the bird rule and the other waters rules, this strand from, uh, the, from the core's jurisdiction uh, will have uh, and should have no impact on what Congress can do under other statutes. Uh, and if you address this case as a statutory rather than a constitutional case, uh, it also won't address uh, the question whether Congress can come back uh, with a different uh, plan uh, to, uh, to protect clean waters. Uh, what, what we don't believe um, uh, the government can plausibly assert is that the terms navigable waters, uh, defined as waters of the United States, given the history, given the legislative history, uh, given, the, um, uh, given the, uh, the historical usage of those terms in this court and other statutes, extends to isolated ponds regulated by the states. Uh, and uh, finally, um, on the, uh, as to the rule of lenity, uh, I, the, uh, I would recommend that the court follow the... Uh, Thank you, Mr. Bishop. Thank you, Chief Justice. The case is submitted.